Well, welcome back to the Shores Church Online. It is great to be with you today. Whether you are following on Facebook, watching on YouTube, or listening on Spotify, thanks for taking a moment and joining us today to hear God's Word. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening so that you don't miss out on any future messages. Today we're going to be concluding our series on parables, Jesus the Storyteller. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the new wine and old wineskin that we see play out in Matthew chapter 9. Now, I want to dive first into the context. I want you to understand what's going on. Matthew is written to a Jewish audience with the sole idea of proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is a grouping of people that would have been debating this. And so it is written differently than Mark, Luke, and John, because it is the Jewish audience that takes center stage. To give you an example of this, when we look at chapter 1, 17 verses are dedicated to proving the genealogy of Jesus and how it tracks all the way back to Abraham, and it is a pure bloodline. But we only see eight verses in chapter 1 that talk about the birth story of Jesus, everything that got us from Mary finding out that she was going to be pregnant to Jesus being born. So you can see that the genealogy means a whole lot to the Jewish audience. In chapter 2, we see the wise men coming to see Jesus, that they had ran into Herod, and that they were supposed to go back to Herod, but they warned Jesus and his family to flee, and they uh, end up fleeing to Egypt in order to not be put to death by Herod. Herod knows that the king of the Jews has been born and wants to uh, take out any babies that are under a particular age in order to make sure that the king of the Jews doesn't survive. So they go ahead and go down to Egypt and that Herod dies during that second chapter and they make their return. Chapter three does a significant time jump and we introduce John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin and that he has a unique ministry. He has a very prophetic ministry and he is baptizing individuals. Jesus comes up, he is baptized by John, and then all of the fun that is Jesus Christ begins. Now, we hit chapter 4, we see Jesus fasting in the wilderness, we see Jesus being tempted by Satan, and we see Jesus starting that formal ministry and inviting his disciples to follow him. 5, 6, and 7, all of these chapters now are the Sermon on the Mount that we discussed several weeks ago in the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And we see ministry begin happening, and we see Jesus starting to pour into the people. And that brings us to chapter 9. Now, somewhere between chapters 3 and chapters 9, John the Baptist winds up in prison. That he has publicly called out uh, Herod Antipas, uh, a descendant of King Herod that was going after Jesus in chapter 2. And he identifies some of his various sins, including taking his brother's wife. This doesn't play out well. He winds up in prison. And this is kind of the context, the setting where we find ourselves today. He's feeling troubled because he has lived an intentional life, removing himself from alcohol and enjoyment and choice foods and all sorts of different things. And he hears that Jesus is gathering with the sinners, feasting and drinking and not following the rules of the Pharisees. And this worries him. It, it troubles him of what is going on here. Eventually, you would see in Matthew chapter 11 that John would send his disciples again to Jesus to ask specifically, are you the Messiah or do we need to wait for somebody else? Is there somebody else that's promised? But before that dramatic moment plays out, John is trying to figure out what is going on. He sends his disciples and Jesus gives an answer. That answer is our parable for today. 
But before we go into it, would you go ahead and repeat after me today? Your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. Today we're going to see what Jesus' answer is, and we're going to do that by diving into Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Read this with me. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. One of the things that we need to understand is that the Jewish people of the time viewed fasting differently than we do today. We look at it as a way to supercharge our faith, that we're going to pray and believe that Jesus is going to say what he's going to do. And fasting supercharges our faith so that we can operate in the full power of God. But the Jewish people linked it to mourning and that a wedding celebration wouldn't be the time to deny myself of something. It wouldn't be a time where we would mourn, so it shouldn't be a time where we should fast. And so there's this debate going on that John's wondering, well, why are my disciples fasting and mourning, but yours are celebrating? And Jesus, you're celebrating, and you're not following the rules that the Pharisees are setting out there. Even though John wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of the Pharisees and vice versa, he's really confused on how Jesus is choosing to operate. And Jesus gives him this parable. And he gives it in two different ways. The most famous one is the wine and the wineskins. But it's this idea that if I have a hole in my shirt and I put a piece of cloth that hasn't shrunk yet and I stitch it up and I put it over it, when that cloth shrinks, it's going to make the hole worse. When we look at the case of the new wine and the old wineskins, we're used to the idea that wine comes in a bottle or a box or something that is, is more formal today. But they would put wine into animal skins, wine skins, and the wine would continue to ferment and it would grow and it would stretch out that wine skin. And what would happen is the new wine would eventually stop fermenting and that the wine skin would be good. But if you put new wine into a used wineskin, it would stretch it again. And when it stretched it again, it would eventually burst the old wineskin. So the idea that you want to put new wine into a new wineskin so that you don't waste both the wine and the wineskin. That Jesus was making a particular point to John the Baptist here. He was here to do something completely new. It wasn't to say that the things that came before had no value or didn't matter anymore, but something new was happening. If John or anyone wanted to make sense of it, they couldn't look at it through a lens of old expectations and regulations. They missed the fantastic thing that Jesus was up to. Through Jesus, God was making a plan to redeem the world to himself. 
that if people expected this to look familiar, they were going to be surprised because it's not going to play out the way that it has always played out before. And if they tried to make it look that way, they wouldn't understand what God was up to. Modern Christians, we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look at it and say, clearly, why didn't they get it? It's right here in black and white. I can see it in the text. But the disciples of the time, John the Baptist, the Pharisees, all these people, they're living through it, and they're trying to understand what Jesus is doing, and it's not making sense to them. They might have thought that the Messiah was coming to conquer their enemies. Why did Jesus behave so differently than the other rabbis? And why was the religious establishment so angry with them that questions like these were going through both the, the religious uh, individuals, those who followed and didn't really understand as much, and they're looking at it and questioning, and people were trying to make sense of it. But there was something about Jesus that was attracting them to it, but those who knew the rules and the regulations and the expectations the most were struggling because this doesn't make sense. And that ultimately, Jesus was encouraging his contemporaries at the time to quit focusing on his behavior in this current religious climate and to focus on the fruit of his ministry. That good fruit was going to come out if you would just look and trust because God is having me do something different. If you judge me by the way everything else has ever went, you're going to be disappointed. You're not going to understand it. But if you judge it by the fruit and see that God is up to something, then you will know that, that God is doing something good. Despite hearing all of this, John's not fully appeased. And again, we see in Matthew chapter 11, John sends his disciples again. And this is going to prove this very point, that John is this old wine, Jesus is this new wine, and that Jesus is going to do something specifically that will prove this point. And we're going to see this play out in Matthew chapter 11 verses 4 through 6 so would you read this with me this morning and jesus answered them go and tell john what you hear and see the blind receive their sight and the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me now the question is if john is sending his disciples to find out from jesus are you the messiah why would Jesus answer that way? And there's a particular reason why. And if we go all the way back to Isaiah 35, 3 through 6, it says this and it gives us the answer. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Why is that so important? The Hebrew people understood the coming Messiah, or Christ, would be identified as the one who could restore sight to the blind. Now, here's the thing is, when you look at the Old Testament, and you look at all the records that we have of people who are healed, you see people that are, have been healed of leprosy and other disorders throughout their history. Three times the dead have been raised to life, but the restoration of sight was the sole purview of the Messiah. It was the, the, the moment that said that this is the Messiah if they can do this. We don't see anybody in the Old Testament that is healed of blindness but it is twice predicted by the prophet Isaiah 
that the Messiah would be able to heal blindness and restore sight. Of his more than 25 specific acts of healing that Jesus did, that includes release of demon possession, that is recorded throughout all the Gospels, Jesus healed blindness more than any other physical issue. Six pairs of eyes on four separate occasions. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is proving, based off of the Old Testament, that he is the Messiah because of his fruit. Not because of the way he acts, not because of the things that he does, but by the fruit of the ministry. Nobody else could do what he was doing. It proved that he was the Messiah. That's why he sent that answer back to John in chapter 11 of, I, I know you might be doubting. I know you may not be able to see spiritually what's happening, but eyes are being opened. Trust me. I am who I say I am. So I've got two points for you today. The first point is this, that your new life in Christ is the new wine. Your new life in Christ is the new wine. And I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21 for a moment. Let's read this together. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is pleading with us to live a life of being new wine. The idea that we are being reconciled to, to God, that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation, that we have a ministry of leading people in this direction as well. What you used to be wasn't working, so you had to become something new. But what you have become in Christ is life-changing. Being reconciled with Christ means you're being made right. You're being made holy. You're being made righteous. And only God can do that. That you are growing. That you're growing in your faith. You're growing in your walk with God. You're growing in your potential. That you're, in essence, your spirit is fermenting and continuing to grow. And if I put who you are now back into your old life, you are going to just fall apart, that something is going to be wasted, something is not going to operate the way it should, but that your new life should be placed into a new wineskin, that you are that new wine. You need to be placed into a new wineskin so you can continue to grow to the full potential that God has for you. 
that when you're in your faith and you're new in this new faith, that you have to leave behind the old. This doesn't mean you leave behind people, but the things that you used to struggle with, the, the things you used to watch, listen to, that the Holy Spirit is going to begin working on you to chisel away those things so that you can become fully that new creation. Some things you give up easily and, and quickly, and some things you have to the process through, but that ultimately God is going to lead you to a new life that is going to allow you to grow to your full potential. It's even this idea when you have water baptism, that it's this idea that I'm going to be taken under the water and I'm going to come up new. My old person has went down and has uh, remained, has been buried, and this new person comes up, this new life, this new hope. And I want to even challenge you, if you hear this and you've never been baptized, let me encourage you to do it. Don't be scared about it. Don't say, well, I've been a Christian forever and I've just never done this. What are people going to say? It's not about what people are going to say. It's about what God Almighty is going to say. And he is going to say, thank you for proclaiming that you are my child and for not being ashamed of that. The other point that I want to talk about today is that if our lives become that new wine, then that means our ministry, as in the church, needs to be a new wineskin. When the car was invented, it quickly took over for the horse and buggy. The, the horse and buggy manufacturers probably viewed it as out of touch. They probably viewed it as a bad thing, and ultimately, it put them out of business. But human transportation in this moment, it exploded. Suddenly, ordinary people could travel at a level that they never could before. The mission is travel, and to do it as fast as possible is the method. When we look at music... The idea is listening to music. The method would be listening to the radio or 8-tracks or cassette tapes or CDs or MP3s, but ultimately where we are today with streaming. You could go back to the old ways, but realistically, I think we all agree that the new ways are more successive in order to listen to what we want to when we want to. Instead of having to lug around a book of CDs, I can on my phone have everything possible that I would want to listen to. That when we look at innovation in general, we have companies like Apple or Samsung that are developing phones that have better and better cameras so that you can take pictures and you can know in a moment if your picture is good. Versus Kodak, who was so insistent on doing it their own way that they have destroyed their business because they wanted their method, their model to be the mission instead of allowing the mission of sharing and capturing moments to be the mission. Churches need to be intentional about saying focus on the mission, which would be leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to be exceptionally innovative in our model. We need to be willing to change the model and have the best model possible so that we can accomplish our mission. Now, I was born in 1985, and I can tell you this, 1995 seems like it's five years ago, ten years ago, when in reality... It is significantly longer ago than that, that I was nine years old in 1995, or for most of 1995, and three quarters of my lifetime has taken place since 1995, yet it seems like yesterday. I want you to hear a, a few different things that happened in 1995. Forrest Gump won Best Film at the Oscars. The O.J. Simpson uh, trial captured audiences all over America. The Macarena came out. The first Toy Story movie came out and changed animated films forever. Amazon sold its first book. eBay debuted. Pogs were the game of choice at school. 
a horse paralyzed Christopher Reeves. M&Ms had a poll because they were going to replace the tan M&Ms with either blue, purple, or pink and blue won out. The NBA champions, uh, Houston Rockets, they win their, their second of two titles before Michael Jordan ended his first retirement and started another uh, three-peat with the Chicago Bulls. You could go to the gate at the airport to greet your loved ones as they came off the plane because 9-11 wouldn't happen for another six years. The internet isn't even in homes yet. It's, the internet's not really even known about yet. And most homes can only call one person at a time because there's only one landline in the home. I want to hear an interesting thing about all these different things. It might have triggered some nostalgia for you. It might bring you back to maybe a simpler time. But according to early results from the 2020 census, 28.7% of our population was born in 1996 until now. That means that they're Gen Z or this generation that is to come that is being called Gen Alpha. So 28.7%, almost a third of our population wasn't even alive for most of this or for any of this. And a lot of our millennials were so young that they don't remember any of these different things happening. And what happens is for those that are old enough, like myself, to be able to say I was nine, 10 years old during this time period, I have a good memory of a lot of it. It brings me back to a, a simpler time to my childhood. But the problem is if I continue to do church the way it was then, it's not relevant. We hear that relevant word a lot of times and we get scared because when we say, well, it's not relevant, that means uh, whoever said that the Bible needed to be relevant. But here's the thing. In our culture, when we present something that's old, we realize the fact that uh, it, it may not carry the same weight that we think it does. Now, in my mind, there's a lot of movies that came out when I was uh, between 5 and 10 and, and even 10 and 20 where I'm like, that was an amazing movie. But you go back today and you watch it and you're like, wow, that's really hokey. That's... Did I really like that movie when it first came out? Because the technology has increased so much. Go back and watch the first Toy Story. You remember the storyline if you're old enough to remember it. But the graphics on that first computer animated uh, feature weren't that good. They were phenomenal at the time. They were game changing at the time. But you compare Toy Story 1 to Toy Story 4, it is night and day difference of what has been achieved. And within Christianity, so often we want to go back to the ways it used to be, doing the programs that used to be done, in uh, operating the way that, well, our church was successful in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, that we, we had all this success, but it's not relevant anymore because a third of our population almost wasn't even alive when those things were happening. And in reality, are we called to redeem old habits and old skills and old methods or were we called to redeem people so that they could become a new creation and that they could enter Christ. You see, if we allow people to meet Christ and that they are a new wine and they enter into our old wineskins the way the church operates, the, the church will break and the people will break and everything will be wasted. But if we allow our methods to continue to change, to continue to be new wineskins so that when the new wine of, of people that accepting Christ is poured into us, that we can hold on to them, absorb them, and help them grow. That is what's going on here. Jesus is telling John, he's telling everybody, that we need to be willing to adjust and be new ourselves so that we can receive what God is doing and help those people grow. We need to be individuals that care more about people than we do about methods and programs. 
Today, as we, we go to close, I want to pray for you because some of you might be listening to this and saying, I want that opportunity to, to be new one. I want that opportunity to be a new person that I believe that if I am in Christ, I'm a new creation. I want to pray over you right now. If that's you, all you simply have to do is say, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you come into my heart right now so that my life can be changed? I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that as they listen to this, they would identify and say, I want to be a new creation. I want to be this new wine that, that Pastor Scott's talking about, that I would accept Jesus in and I would be changed and transformed, that I would be able to leave the old wineskin and the old ways behind and I could do what God has called me to do. I could continue to, to ferment and grow and reach my potential that God has for me. Lord, I pray right now that as they accept you in their heart, Lord, that you would begin changing them, transforming them, releasing them of their past so that they're able to focus on what you have for them in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you and you just prayed that for the very first time, I want you to go to myshores.church. As soon as this video is done, click the button that says Start My Christian Journey and start watching of and reading about what Jesus truly did for you and how you can grow in the ways of Jesus Christ. Also, in the, the comments below, whether you're on um, whatever medium you are when you're watching this, I want you just to let us know so we can celebrate with you. For everybody else, I want to pray on behalf of us as a church and even just Christianity in general, that we would be willing to be new wineskins, that we would be willing to change so that those who accept Christ can enter into this new wineskin, they can enter into the church, and they have room to grow because we allow them that opportunity to. That might mean that we need to change. That might mean that we might need to be uncomfortable, but it's not about our comfortability. It is about God's mission of making sure that every single person has an opportunity to hear the gospel message and that they can meet Jesus and have their life changed forever. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for us as a church today that we would commit ourselves to being new wineskins, that we would commit ourselves to being willing to, to put off methods and strategies that we would prefer so that we're able to accomplish the mission that you call us to. Lord, it is not about our preferences, our methods, but Lord, it is all about your mission. So Lord, change us, transform us, challenge us so that we are able to accomplish what you want us to in Jesus's incredible name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and end today the way we always do with the great commission. Would you say it with me? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, it was great being with you today, whether you are watching on YouTube, following on Facebook, listening on Spotify, whatever way you're watching, make sure you like and subscribe so that you get more of this content. And at the same time, would you share it with somebody who needs them to know about this? Tag them in the comments. Let them know that Jesus Christ loves them, that there's a church in St. Clair Shores, Michigan that loves them, and that you love them as well. Have a great day, and I will catch you next time. Music